My name is Sophia, and I have the privilege of serving on the worship team in kids' ministry and on the Serving the Servants team. Today's scripture passage is from Proverbs chapter 16, verses 18 to 19. In addition, I will read related passages from Proverbs, which will be on the screen for you to follow along with. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. The Lord tears down the proud man's house, but he keeps the widow's boundaries intact. He who listens to a life-giving rebuke will be at home among the wise. He who ignores discipline despises himself, but whoever heeds correction gains understanding. The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Before his downfall, a man's heart is proud, but humility comes before honor. He who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. He who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. A man's pride brings him low, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. This is God's word. Thank you, Sophia. Man, I'm already convicted just hearing those verses. As you could uh, tell, today we come to this all-important uh, contrast that's all throughout the book of Proverbs between pride and humility. Let's pray together. And let's ask specifically that as we hear God's word, that we wouldn't think only of our spouse and our family and our friends or the world, but that we would prepare our hearts to receive what God wants to say to us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would open our hearts to hear what it is that you want to say to us about pride and humility. Pray that we would not spend our time in your word just looking at the faults and pride of others, which is so often easy in our opinion to see, but very hard to see in ourselves. We pray this morning that you would remove the blinders and ultimately the pride in our heart. And that as we focus on you, that you would help us to be a humble people. That the world right now, when they see the church, would say a humble church. Because we worship a humble Savior. We pray that if there's anyone here this morning who does not yet know Jesus, we pray that today they would humble themselves and receive the salvation that is found only in his name. For it is in his name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, the chapel of the rosary in France is arguably one of the great religious structures built in the 20th century. And when the artist, Henri Matisse, finished in 1951, he stood back and said, I did it for myself. And in that moment, a shocked Catholic nun turned and said, but you told me 
You were doing it for God. Why, yes, he replied, but I am God. <laughs> now, few people would claim divinity, but all of us deal with pride. In many ways, pride is the story of human history. One of the great authors and thinkers of the last century, C.S. Lewis, put it like this. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. We're not talking this morning about that sense of delight in the achievement of others like being proud of your family or your friends. We're talking this morning about a self-centered pride or as C.S. Lewis states, an anti-God state of mind. The opposite of pride, of course, is humility. And the book of Proverbs has much to say about both, and it is so important that we listen. Because to put it in a statement, learning about pride and humility will not only make you wise, it can save your life. And yes, this is one of those sections of Scripture where don't just think like, oh, I'm going to download this and, you know, send it to your friend or your spouse. It's rarely ever received. Has somebody ever sent you like, oh, I think you'd really benefit from this sermon. It's like killing your pride. And they're like, what are you trying to say? <laughs> but rather, we need to pay close attention to what it is that God wants to do in our hearts. And one of the best ways to learn about pride and humility is not simply through definitions, but descriptions. And that is what the great King Solomon gives to us in the book of Proverbs, his collection of wisdom. And as we've learned, wisdom is the skill of living well, living godly in the real world. And for that reason, there are so many practical instructions. But you can't go through a single chapter of Proverbs without the themes of pride and humility turning up. These attitudes of pride and humility, they impact everything. It is not an exaggeration. It is that important. And so, I want us to learn about them at the same time. Pride and humility. Contrasting them. Because it helps us understand them both. And we'll do it under three headings or three questions. And the first is this. Where do pride and humility lead? Both attitudes, as described in Proverbs, they foreshadow future events. If you want to know where someone is headed in the future, look at their attitude today. Both pride and humility, they foreshadow your future. So where do they lead? Well, when it talks about pride, 
Proverbs pulls no punches. To be very clear, pride leads to destruction. Proverbs 16, 18 says just that. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The word destruction in the Hebrew is interesting. It literally means breaking, like the breaking of a bone. And it does not say that pride might lead you to this breaking. It doesn't say that pride will potentially lead you to destruction. It says pride will lead to destruction. And this proud heart will be followed up with a great fall. Now, if you read the stories found in Scripture, you will find countless examples of this and many more in history. Can anything, for example, ruin the glory of an angel that God created? Yes. Pride. Pride attempts to rip the crown from God himself, and it is pride that sent Satan into darkness. It was pride that led our first parents, Adam and Eve, to take of the fruit that was forbidden to them, and paradise was ruined. It was the pride of Solomon's own father, King David, that led him to take another man's wife and to kill her husband. We see pride exemplified through the story of humanity in the pages of Scripture. But the question for you and I this morning is, do we see it in ourselves? Charles Spurgeon once said that pride is too tall to walk upright. It is most likely to tumble down because it never looks to its feet. There only needs to be a pitfall in the way or even a stone and down it goes. It is sure to fall. There are practical reasons for this, of course. Pride is a self-sufficiency and that keeps you from learning. And if you're kept from learning, then you will make terrible decisions. There are practical reasons for this. If you never ask someone to teach you how to drive, you will get in an accident. It's very practical. There are practical reasons that pride will lead to destruction, but there are also spiritual reasons. Pride means you place yourself at the center. And when you do that, it is to be on a collision course with God. It's to be on a collision course with the God who made you and all that he wants for your life. In the moment, pride may feel neutral. You could be living in pride right now, coming to church on Sunday and say, well, no lightning bolt struck me during first set, although there's always a second set. (laughs) But you think, well, I'm good. Surely I'm making these decisions. They're sinful. They're, They're prideful, but nothing's really happened yet. My spouse hasn't addressed it. My friends haven't necessarily said anything. There's no particular consequences as of this day of our Lord, the year 2022, so I'm fine. But if that is you, take heed. Pride will lead 
to destruction. It may feel neutral in the moment, but it will lead to breaking. In contrast, humility, where does it lead? It leads to honor. Proverbs 29, verse 23 says, pride, ironically, brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. Honor, of course, is the place of acceptance. Like being sat at the head of a table at a beautiful banquet and celebration. It's the place of honor. It's actually, if we're honest, something that all of us long for. We long for this kind of acceptance. And many of us are living for it. But sadly, we're seeking it in all the wrong places. We're meant to seek true and ultimate acceptance in God. Not by sitting in his seat, but sitting in the seat that he provides for us. This place of acceptance, this honor, what many of us are looking for, it will not come through pride. That's what our culture is telling us. Just be so self-sufficient. You've got this. You're the hero of the story. You're the champion. But the Bible says that this will not lead to that place of acceptance. But rather it's humility. An attitude that recognizes I am not all sufficient. I don't have everything that I need in life. God, I need you. And the result of that is being placed in the place of honor. I want you to notice this at the beginning because both pride and humility foreshadow your future. If you want to tell where somebody's heading, if you want to know what path they're on, look at either the pride or the humility in their lives. It's a foreshadow of future events. It's a way of both warning if it's pride and encouragement if it is humility. Just like the birds returning to the trees before the summer season or the clouds moving in the distance before the rain or like the shadow of a person falls before they walk into your home, pride and humility come before destruction and honor. To put it another way, if someone's life is going to end in destruction, it will not happen by surprise. It will not be a shock. It will not be as if all the angels are like, oh, didn't see that one coming. Wow. They were headed to destruction the whole time. Pride will be evident. And likewise, and in contrast, humility will lead to honor. And it will not come as a surprise. We need to see this. It's what Proverbs both warns us and encourages us about. When honor visits your life, the shadow will be, if you will, humility. See, this is something that the Bible teaches over and over again, and it is so contrary to the world. The world says, lift yourself on high and you will be exalted, but the Bible says, lower yourself and you will be exalted. It's the countercultural way of Christ. Let me just drive this home. Let me just give you a few rapid fire verses. Ezekiel chapter 21 verse 26. Exalt that which is low and bring low that which is exalted. This is the economy of the Bible. Isaiah chapter 40. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. Jesus said in Matthew 23. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But whoever humbles himself will be exalted. 
James chapter 4, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And again, Jesus in Matthew 18, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The irony is clear. Pride ends in humiliation, but humility ends in honor. That's where they lead. And so in order to identify them, we then must ask a second question. We know where they lead. But secondly, what do pride and humility look like? This is where we're going to get really practical. And thankfully, Proverbs is a very practical book. It gives us many examples of how pride and humility play out. And I've chosen four particular areas where we see a contrast between what pride looks like, can look like in our lives, and what humility can look like in our lives. And as we read these, I want you to ask yourself this. Which ones describe me? Which one of these describes me? There are four areas in which we'll explore this. The area of authority, who's in charge of your life. The area of correction. The area of conviction. And the area of your circumstances. So first, when it comes to authority, what do pride and humility look like? Well, pride says, God, I want things my way. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 13 says, whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. So what does pride look like? What does pride say when it is in our hearts? You say, God, I want things my way. So when I pray, for example, I expect that God should do what I want him to do. And when he does not perform according to my standard and my request, I'm angry. And let's be honest, this happens in our lives all the time. It happens in the church. We go to church. We tithe. We get involved. We serve in VBS for crying out loud. So God, how come you didn't give me my dream vacation? I prayed. I put in my holy tokens into your cosmic vending machine and the vacation didn't come out. I'm mad at you, God. How often have I heard the phrase repeated by people in the congregation, yeah, I prayed, but God didn't come through for me with a little hint of venom. That's pride. Pride says, God, I want things my way. When it comes to the Bible, for example, maybe you're looking for verses to affirm something that you already want to do. A dangerous quest, but many do it. And if you're challenged by what you read in the Bible or what you hear on a Sunday, oh, you're simply going to reject it. Oh, I don't like that part of the Bible. I like what the Bible says about justice, but not maybe about, you know, ethics. I like what the Bible says about fairness in the workplace, but I, doesn't, I don't like what it says about sexuality. I like what it says about forgiveness, but I don't like what it says about money. How easy is it to come to the pages of Scripture and be like, ooh, morning Devo. I've got my coffee or tea if you're less spiritual. And you're just there. You've got Bible open. You're like, ooh, highlighter. You've got three colors. You're serious. Kids aren't up yet. 
then you come to a verse on pride and you're like, oop, I'm going to pick out the blue one because that means it's for the husband. <laughs> or it's for the wife. It's for my kids. Summer's coming up and their pride's going to ruin everything. What about you? See, pride says, I want things my way. And when I come to the Bible, I'm just looking for verses to affirm me. And when anything challenges me, I'm going to reject it. Does that sound familiar? Could it describe you? Could it describe me? Humility is the opposite. Humility says, God, I want things your way. I don't want things my way. I want things your way. Notice in that Proverbs, it says, he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. God's word, his will for my life. I don't want to despise it. I don't want to reject it. I want to receive it. So every time we come to the Bible, we say, God, I know that your ways are higher than my ways. Your ways are right and true and good. And even for the bits I don't understand or I don't particularly like or seem challenging to me, help me receive it. God, help me to do it. Even if it's hard to hear, we can pray with humility saying, God, help me to understand. Help me to receive this. I do not want to reject your word. Well, if that's the attitude of our heart, he will bless you and reward you with understanding. He will help you grow. But what about the theme of correction, very closely related to this theme of authority? How do pride and humility respond to correction? Well, Proverbs 15.31 is clear. The ear that listens to the life giving reproof or correction will dwell among the wise. I don't know if you've noticed over the last month, but this theme of being open and understanding, having a listening ear or more importantly, a listening heart is repeated over and over. It's as if King Solomon is begging us to be teachable. How can we grow? How can we change? Is the question that we must ask. But on the flip side, pride refuses to be teachable. So think about listening to this sermon, for example. How are you responding right now in your heart? Because somebody once said, I heard it recently, that what you get out of teaching is not only up to the teacher, it's up to you. So pressure's off me <laughs> this morning. But you know what pride says? Pride says, I know this already. I know that. I know that verse. I could quote this in Hebrew, like, I'm good. I've got it on my fridge. I even got it on a coffee cup the church gave me, and I collected. <laughs> I know this. When your spouse corrects you, reminds you of something, like, yeah, 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 I know. When your boss or your coworker says, hey, you do it this way, yeah, I know. Don't tell me how to do my job. <laughs> now, we might not say it out loud. But do we say it in our hearts? See, a proud person views themselves as being above other people and as a result, above the need for correction and instruction. And if I'm honest, the reason I have not opened up to some people or allowed them to correct me is because maybe I don't see their perspective as being valuable. But it's pride. 
It's pride that keeps us from being teachable. Or some of us, let's be honest, we just don't want to give the impression of being weak. Some of us, we just hold up this like edifice of ourselves. It's like, I'm strong. I'm self-sufficient. Like, I'm good. So someone says, hey, can I pray for you? Like, no, no, I'm good. But pray for yourselves. (laughs) You need prayer. I mean, sure, if you think about it, it's fine. You know, I mean, I pray for like three hours a day, so I'm good, right? But you on the other hand, maybe pray for yourself. (laughs) We don't want to give the impression that we are weak or that we need to be teachable. Pride says, I know this already, but humility says, I need to hear it again. That's what humility looks like. I need to hear this again. Teachability in the Bible is not a sign of weakness. It is actually a sign of strength. And that is why in matters of teaching, we should invite correction. Help me to see what I'm not seeing. Maybe there is a lesson I need to be reminded of. Yes, I know that verse, but man, I need to hear that verse again. In fact, somebody... Just the other week, I was on the phone with a friend, and I was, you know, it's just like, oh, I was just venting. I was like, man, I'm just having a hard time in this area. And they say, well, you know, Scripture says, like, yeah, yeah, I know that's that's a good one. Could quote it verbatim. But I realized in that moment that because I was so familiar with that, I'd even maybe even taught a sermon on that, that I dismissed the impact that I needed in that moment. And I caught myself, or rather, I should say, God caught me like, oh, do you know that, Tim? (laughs) Oh, oh, you know it already. Oh, you're, you're good, right? Oh, yes, no, I need to receive that right here for this situation, anew and afresh. Humility says, I need to hear this again. So when it comes to learning within the church, when it comes to your family, your relationships, your friendships, your marriages, your, your workplace, are you a prideful listener? Or are you a humble listener? And that leads to another area, which is conviction or your, your guilt. When there's something that you do feel and experience conviction about, what do pride and humility look like? Proverbs 28 verse 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. It's powerful. Few things reveal our pride like our unwillingness to admit when we are wrong. For some of us, it's, it's even hard to say. Like when I apologize to my spouse, it actually reminds me of when my kids were like toddlers. And you know, when they realize they've done something wrong, like you hit your sister and they're like, ah, and then finally you make them realize what they did. And then there's that moment where you say, Go and tell your sister you're sorry. And the entertainment begins. <laughs> My youngest, she used to be like, I'm sorry, what, what was that? Did you sneeze? Like, what, what did you say? <laughs> sorry, are you, are you putting words there? Like, what are you, sorry. Wait, I can't really hear. I'm sorry. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that had a little spice on it. Maybe try again with, I'm sorry. And then you say, for what? 
I don't know. What am I sorry for now? Okay, okay. Let's go back to step one. So you took the thing and you whacked your sister. That is what you're about. I'm sorry I hit you. Like, oh my goodness. Like parenting, do you parents just feel it? How many parents just feel it this morning? Like, oh. But then I have this revelation. Can you imagine how God views us? <laughs> in some ways, except without the cynicism and exhaustion <laughs> that I often have in my own heart as a parent, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And we're like, the Holy Spirit's like, I'm sorry, what, what was that? <laughs> I'm omnipresent, omnipotent, you know, so I already know, but I just can't, I can't really hear it right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> How hard is it, it is for us to admit when we are wrong? And one of the little secrets in pride is this, only other people need to deal with their faults. Well, what about those people in church? God, why don't you convict them of their sin? That list is long. Believe me, I know. God, what about my spouse? Like, they're the one. They're the one that makes this hard. That, they're the ones is why I got angry. Pride says only other people need to deal with their faults. Of all the characters in the Bible that seem most despised, one of the top ten, if you will, is a group called the Pharisees in the Gospels. The Pharisees were a group of religious traditionalists in Jesus' day whose moral superiority was advertised daily. Like the Pharisee who Jesus described as praying, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men. <laughs> but the irony is that even in condemning him, we can fall into the same trap. We don't like to acknowledge or deal with our own faults. And so we look at others. I remember on one of my, uh, our wedding anniversaries, you know, my wife and I were just talking like, oh, you know, isn't it amazing? Like uh, another year, you know, uh, of marriage. And she's like, I know, it is a miracle that we are still married. <laughs> she literally said that. And I was like, oh, yeah. Um, yes. I mean, like, define miracle. Like, like, like. Like little miracle, lowercase m miracle, like gee, golly, wow, God's kind of sovereign. Or are we talking like, you know, water into wine kind of miracle? <laughs> I was genuinely shocked. I, was like, I thought it was like, I mean, miracle, that's a strong word. <laughs> but then I have to stop and say like, gosh, Lord, how difficult or how helpful do I make it within marriage. See, pride says only other people need to deal with their faults. And some of us are actually quite good at it. Like, hi, I'm here to uh, reveal all of your faults. But what does humility say? Humility says, I need to deal with my faults. See, pride is most prone to suspect others, but a humble person is most suspicious of themselves. A humble person recognizes that they can see the sin in their own heart more clearly than the sin in others. We have that picture of Jesus, don't we? Where he said, if you see a speck in the other person's eye, remove the what? The plank out of your own eye first. One author actually put it like this, Jonathan Edwards, spiritual pride is very apt 
to suspect others, but a humble Christian is most guarded about himself. He is as suspicious of nothing in the world as he is of his own heart. The humble Christian spends time examining their own heart and confessing what lies within so that they don't have as much time to investigate others. The humble are prone to esteem others, give them the benefit of the doubt. While searching in yourself for any evidence of sin, we also look for others in their lives, evidences of grace. Pride says, it's their problem. Humility says, I need to deal with what's going on in my heart. But I suppose there's one more area of pride and humility that's so important and so practical, and that is the area of our circumstances. One of my favorite passages of Proverbs is found in chapter 30, verse 8 and 9, where the writer says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Circumstances, provision. Pride says, why don't I have more? God, why isn't my house better? Why is it only a two-bedroom, not a three? Why, why, why don't I have a garage? Why don't I get paid as, as much? Why don't I have the circumstances that they have? Why don't I have more? See, in pride, we focus on what we do not have in life. The money, the jobs, the homes, the situations that we feel entitled to. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we should enjoy it when life is difficult, but it is something altogether different when we grumble and we complain out of a sense of entitlement. The proud heart says, I deserve more. God, you haven't given me what I deserve. But humility says, why do I have so much? Why do I have so much? Now, how do you get there? Well, as a Christian, a Christian is a person who looks at his or her sin and understands that the consequences is eternal separation from God and marvels that God in his grace and his mercy sent Jesus Christ to come and to rescue us from our sin, to die on a cross, to pay the penalty that we owed, to rise again to, so that we could be adopted and accepted and loved forever into all of eternity. And you're marveling at that. Even circumstances that may be very difficult in life are still better than what our sin deserves. The humble says, Lord, in all my circumstances, whether lack or plenty, I do not want to forget you. And notice the difference. Again, a prideful person complains about their circumstances. A humble person is concerned about their heart. Concerned about their attitude towards God. That's the ultimate concern. Notice that passage. He says, the chief problem is like, I don't want to forget you, Lord. And I don't want to curse you, Lord. The proud person is only concerned about the circumstances. But the humble says, God, I want to be near you. And this is really hard what I'm going through right now. The lack of finances. The lack of health. The loneliness that I feel. But God, please, my greatest need is that I stay near to you, that I do not forget you. That's the ultimate concern.
And that leads to the last question. Where do pride and humility begin? We see what it looks like on display in our lives and in our hearts, but where does it begin? We pointed out that Proverbs is so much about the heart, but how do pride and humility get described in relation to the heart? Well, at the very bottom of everything, pride says, I am at the center. And that's why Proverbs gives us this warning in 21, verse 4, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the unplowed field of the wicked produces sin. See, pride puts you at the center of everything. If there's something going on in church, you're at the center. If there's something going on at work, you're at the center. Something going on in the home, you're at the center. That's what pride is. It's a radical self-centeredness. And it is the precursor to virtually all other sins. Because pride wants to have the final verdict. Pride wants to have the final say. And in that sense, we've all been proud. But in different ways. Sometimes our pride will show itself in arrogance. But other times it will also show itself in greedy insecurity. I know we don't often associate insecurity with pride, but both arrogance and insecurity, what they have in common is both are radically focused on them, on the self. Arrogance says, well, I'm better than all these other people. But the other person says, well, I'm far worse than all these other people. Like, oh, I just don't measure up to all these other people. But still the concern is on the self. Whether you think you're better or inferior, the focus is on the self. Pride begins with an obsessive self-focus. Whether it's arrogance or insecurity, you're at the center. And pride is warned about so often because it is the sin you are least likely to see. And it is the sin that is the most likely to keep you from crying out for a savior. But in contrast, humility says God is at the center. The world does not revolve around me. The world revolves around the one who made it. And so Proverbs 22 verse 4 says humility is, what is it? Where does it begin? The fear of the Lord. That is awe and adoration of God. Its wages are riches and honor and life. This is where it begins. Don't hear this sermon and think like, oh, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to crush it with humility this week. <laughs> and say to your wife right now, like, get ready for humble husband week. <laughs> Keep score. It's going to be good. You don't get humility by focusing, ironically, on humility. You get humility by putting God in his proper place. As it's been often said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility this morning is not, you know, coming to the carpets and just beating yourself up like, terrible, worst, worst. <laughs> It's like, stop, that's just another, that, that's what religion does. Religion says, you're in the wrong and you've got to pay. The gospel says, yes, you're wrong, but Jesus paid. That's why we celebrate communion. The work is finished. It's already been paid. Humility is in receiving Jesus. Humility is found in worshiping God. It is 
Only when you are not at the center do we experience the honor that we need. This is why Proverbs says humility leads to honor. And there's something much deeper in that than a principle. It speaks to the very heart of Christianity. It speaks of a person. A person whose humility leads to the greatest acceptance of all, and that is Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, Paul describes Jesus by saying, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Our salvation comes through the humility of God. Isn't that remarkable? While we were lifting ourselves up, Jesus, the Son of God, lowered himself down. Humility began in heaven. Came down to this earth. Down Jesus went from heaven to earth. Down Jesus went from true king to to servant. Down Jesus went to a death on the cross. But because he paid for our sins, up he rose from the grave. Up he ascended to heaven. And he lifts you up. You are seated in heavenly places through Jesus Christ. It is because of his humility and the resulting glory that you and I can be saved. While we were trying to make something of ourselves, he made himself nothing. While we were serving ourselves, he came to serve us all. All the way to the point of dying in our place for our pride and our sin. He took our destruction so that we could have his honor. So friends, we have a humble God who loves proud sinners. It's remarkable. He wants to honor us, but it is not based on what we can achieve. It's based on what we receive. It's based on what he has achieved for us. You have to be humble to get this honor, meaning you can't achieve it. You must receive it. So all you need this morning is nothing. You need to admit that you need it. Admit that you need his forgiveness. Admit that you need his help. Admit that you need his power. Admit that you need his strength. And as a result, it kills off your pride. All the parables of Jesus point to this. Like the parable of the great wedding feast. When Jesus says, see, I have prepared my feast. Everything is ready. Come to the feast. In Matthew 22. He doesn't say, you are ready. He doesn't say, go get ready. He says, the feast is ready. So the way that we humble ourselves is by receiving from Jesus, putting him first. And he promises that everyone who comes to him, his love and his honor as a gift. And so the greatest remedy for and protection against pride is Jesus. So this morning, if you are not yet a Christian, humble yourself before God and receive Jesus as your Savior. Receive his salvation. And as a church, humble yourself before God and receive his strength. 
Humble yourself before God. Receive his forgiveness. Humble yourself before God. Receive his love. It's all about receiving. And we're going to do that right now. And it begins with prayer. So let's pray together. Father, I pray right now that you would keep us from the religious temptation of thinking that we need to go out and do something or earn something in order to enjoy your presence. For that is only pride. And it will keep us from your presence. Rather, I pray that the attitude of our heart would be, God, nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling. I pray that we would receive from you all that we need. Receive the teaching where you want us to be instructed. Receive your forgiveness where we need forgiveness. Receive your wisdom and strength where we need wisdom and strength. God, I pray that our pride would not keep us from putting you at the center and receiving from you all that we need. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move right now as we have the opportunity to put you first. May pride not keep us from it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.